So we are in a, a series, in fact, this is the last installment of our little series on the book of Acts, actually the first half of the book of Acts. We're at chapter 12, that's where we're going to kind of enter into one of the accounts today, uh, and we've been going through looking to identify uh, some of the fruits of the Spirit, but really with this heart, Philippa kind of led us into this as we kicked off uh, this series, where we're, we're looking at Acts, not just as a checklist of things that we should be like, or the church should be like again, or how we might, how we might feel about that, and um, whatever our perspective is on that, but really trying to challenge ourselves by saying, looking at the book of Acts as an overflow of what happens when disciples of Jesus wait on the Holy Spirit. What happens when we wait on the Holy Spirit, which is what we're invited to do by Jesus? Wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and the book of Acts is just an incredible uh, like group of testimonies about what can happen. And so for sure, there are things that we've got loads to learn from. There are things which might actually be really similar to some of our experiences even today. But our, our base kind of principle, what I think Philip has done so well to like call us back to time and time again is, what happens when disciples of Jesus wait on the Holy Spirit? What would happen in your life if you continue to just make space to wait on the Holy Spirit and then do different things? Uh, so that is where we're kind of starting. And uh, over the summer, Gareth kind of uh, shared with us and then Philippa um, the last couple of weeks has been sharing specifically kind of pulling out some of Peter's experiences. And uh, last week, especially really some stuff that really hit me where Philippa was uh, teaching into the account of where uh, Peter is at Cornelius, ends up at Cornelius's house, which is where he didn't think he should be because it's an the, the guy wasn't a Jew. And then he was there. And then before that, he had a vision of a sheet and animals and I'm being deliberately uh, vague because you should go back and watch the YouTube video. Uh, but her, her point was that Jesus was already at work in other people, in Cornelius in this instance. But Jesus was already at work also in Peter. And so we're continuing in some ways today because in Acts 12, uh, as we kind of come to the end of this series from Acts, we are going to look at Peter's miraculous escape from prison in Acts 12. And I just want to give you a little bit of context and then Yasmin really kindly is going to come and read the passage to us. So uh, Peter is in prison. You're going to find that out straight away. Uh, the backdrop to this is that he, he's been arrested by Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa, who is the grandson of Herod the Great, who's the kind of first Herod we hear about and we, you know, do nativities with. Um, and uh, he's the grandson. He's, he's got massive ego problems too. And he's on a real kind of like um, campaign to try and win favor with anybody that he can. And he's just discovered by arresting James and then killing him. James was martyred, second martyr uh, in that sense, Stephen being the first that we heard about earlier in the series. Uh, and he gained loads of popularity from that to the extent that he began to think, oh, how can I, how can I do something better? Who is, who's like the lead Christian that I can arrest? 
And so he manages to find Peter, who's pretty elusive uh, at this time, to the authorities, and he arrests him. And he imprisons him. And uh, this is all happening around uh, the Passover feast in Jerusalem. Uh, So there's a lot of like tension and uh, kind of heightened emotion going on uh, as that time as loads of pilgrims come into Jerusalem. Uh, So there's all of this activity going on and Herod Agrippa has promised this public execution just after the Sabbath, uh, after the Passover Sabbath. And, And Peter is in jail waiting for that. And he's there heavily, heavily guarded He's literally like chained to two people, it describes. There are four kind of groups of soldiers who are looking after him so that he is under constant watch uh, and so that he can't get away. He is right in the middle of this place. And Herod, who's not thinking about what the Passover really means, he is there just thinking about Peter and thinking about what this can gain him. There's also been in the church some amazing kind of movements. You'll remember from the beginning, beginning of Acts that there is this command to, go, to take the gospel uh, into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and beyond, and the ends of the earth. And this is what has been happening. Not quite how the church thought it would happen. Most of that has happened, yes, because of the gospel going out, and we went on some of those adventures, right, with the likes of Philip uh, and others. We could see the gospel being planted in people like the Ethiopian leader and going out into their nations, but also because of persecution. There's already been a persecution in the, in the church, uh, and that's why people scattered. And there's just been another one, of course, as we see it, under Herod, uh, where he is beginning to persecute again. And with the first one, there was this push of the church who'd gathered in Jerusalem out as far as Samaria. And in this next one, the gospel seems to be going even further. So the church was being spread, but they they didn't seem to be afraid. The account is that there's real excitement in the church over this, a fervency, a boldness. But there's a lot going on. And right in the heart of it at this moment when we join it, is Peter. Yasmin, why don't you come and read the passage to us? Hi, family. Okay, so I'm reading Acts 12, verse 6 to 17. So I'm not really good at speaking, so bear with me, guys. On the mic. But it looks easier when you're watching them, but now I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guards at at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that, the, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the sec- first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It, it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's 
clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where people, were, where people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it, oh, sorry, they said they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left, he left for another place. Very well read. Very good. Ah, so, um, wow, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in this passage. And uh, I feel like I could preach just on the funny bits. Uh, the bit where the angel taps Peter. Um, I just feel like that's very Yoda-like. There's something, I don't know if there's any Star Wars fans in here. but Maybe not. But uh, if my son was here, we'd be having a right old uh, agreement here. But there's something like of authority and you know, slight kind of cantankerousness about the angel tapping Peter to wake him up, poking him. Um, there's the brilliant part, which is literally like a slapstick comedy sketch where Peter arrives at the door, knocks, the door is opened, there's a, ah, and then she runs away uh, and probably would have gone up to the top to one of the upper rooms where they would have been praying and Peter's just left there. And, you know, uh, <laughs> all of these brilliant bits in it. And we could, we could look at this passage and thoroughly go through and kind of rake for the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, there is an amazing bit which leads up to where we started in verse 6, actually in verse 5, where it says that the church was praying earnestly for Peter. Um, and they were praying out of love. There is a real affection. The, the fruit of love is going on in the church, and that is outpouring itself in this fervency to pray for Peter, to, to trust in that. Uh, there's peace and patience and self-control with Peter. Well, that's what I kind of, you know, that's the kind of spiritualized. I mean, he was just asleep. He was obviously peaceful. Um, and uh, whether he was patient or he just lost patience, I don't know. Uh, but there was something going on there, a deeper peace, which meant that he was there clearly not in anxiety, but in something else. The goodness of the angel, the joy and kindness from God uh, in this act of liberation. Uh, then we have joy explicitly demarked with Rhoda, who opens the door or eventually opens the door, uh, and uh, Peter's patience waiting at the door. We could, we could rake through and find the fruit of the Spirit in, in kind of small form. But actually, to end this series, I want to kind of look at something that these fruit of the Spirit add up to. There's another verse, actually. The Galatians uh, verses are the ones that denote the, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but there are obviously other verses about the Holy Spirit. And I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And, and I want to put it to you this morning that, that the fruit of the Spirit add up to freedom, add up to living in almost like a different reality to the reality of the world. Because we are able to operate in a freedom that only comes from God's presence, which is God's reality, which is the reality of the kingdom of God, where God rules and reigns, and which is the reality of heaven, the promise of heaven uh, here. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, uh, I've titled this talk, you ready for this? I don't always title my talks, but I felt quite pleased with this one, um, which might mean it'll bomb. Uh, anyway, okay. I've titled this talk, The Holy Heist. Yeah? Anybody else like a heist, a good heist movie? Yeah? Oh, there's, okay, one, there's one person here. Okay, well, okay. There's, there's probably enough of us to form some kind of small, intelligent unit, each with different skills, ready to go and break through any number of things which feel impossible uh, for other people. But for us, there's a way through. There's treasure to be had. And we're going to, you know, we're going to really show, stick it to the man. You know, we're going to really undermine the greater authority with our authority. I love a heist movie. Any favorite heist movies? Can anybody think of any? Don't worry, I've got a whole list here uh, for you. So, uh, there's some great ones out there that you might not realize are this genre of movie, the heist movie. Obviously, Mission Impossible. Yeah, it's all about the heist. Uh, and uh, the Oceans movies. Yeah, also a lot of heisting going on in the Oceans movie. Kind of classic heist in some ways. Uh, there's some others that are very, very popular. Fast and the Furious. Often a heist movie. Often a heist movie involving cars, obviously. Uh, there's so many others. There's classics, The Thomas Crown Affair, great heist movie, uh, fascinating. Heat, Inception, did you think of that? Has anybody seen Inception about dreams? Yeah, heisting dreams, because there's all sorts of twists on the heist movie. This is a great thing too. Uh, and uh, Quentin Tarantino, you know, he loves a heist so much. He did two, Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown, very good. Uh, a Fish Called Wanda, great heist movie. Uh, yeah, very British, uh, but very much that. Marv, even Marvel haven't missed out on it. Ant-Man, did you realize that's a heist movie? Yeah, it's a heist movie. Yeah, a heist movie. A heist movie is any movie, a heist story, when people are getting together in order to steal something. So, I mean, I'm being a little bit, I'm not trying to be flippant about the scripture, obviously, but I am trying to just give us a lens through which we might see something in this story. I mean, my favorite heist movie and probably my favorite movie of all time, Point Break, it's just a classic, but don't watch it with your kids because they need to be old enough to be able to see it. Um, so, uh, this, this, these elements of this kind of, of the heist are going on in this passage, but there's a real twist in this because the treasure is not some material thing, some kind of like false freedom that you can end up on a beach in Mexico and be fine and the authorities won't find you. This is about real freedom and the treasure in this case is Peter. And the person organizing the heist is God. 
And he's doing it not on his own, although it might feel like that at first. God and an angel, Jesus and an angel, it's very holy. Of course, God can do things like that. We're, we're in the realm of the miraculous already in Acts. But no, there's, there's this amazing participation, which isn't always easy to see at first, but in the background, we have the whole way through the church praying. In fact, the, the whole kind of passage of this account starts with the church praying earnestly. So we have all of these different elements. And, and Herod was so ready uh, to, to make an example of Peter, but he had no idea that this holy heist was about to happen. Absolutely no idea. And it has all the hallmarks of a heist. So here's Peter. And the angel breaks in. Admittedly, we don't get the kind of like getting into the treasure, but we get all of the account of, of, uh, of the treasure being kind of evacuated from, from that place. The angel comes in. First of all, there is the, the, the cuffs that come off. There's the immediate chains where Peter is chained to those other people, unable to detach from them. But here, he's, he's uh, liberated from those. And then he and the angel walk out and the door opens at just the right time. You know, I can imagine, I really like Simon Pegg and uh, in the Mission Impossible movies, you can imagine there's an angel on a laptop just getting ready to open that door at the right time, uh, hacked into the system. The door opens at the right time and then out comes Peter and the angel. And then Peter goes on his way, the angel disappears. Well, of course, yeah, I'm being playful with this. But there's something and a, there's a truth right in the midst of this that I want us to get. There's so many things we could talk about. But I want us to focus on and go away today with an understanding that God is the God who breaks us out of prison. God is the God who breaks Peter out of prison. And it's not the first time. It's already happened. Maybe that's why Peter was asleep, because he would almost, it's happened to him before. He had that experience, Acts 5, 18, I think it is verse 18, where, where Peter is, is released by an angel in a slightly different way, but very similar. He already knows about this. In fact, Peter's reality had already begun to change. And he knew that Jesus was the one who breaks people out of prison. God is the one who breaks people out of prison. Out of literal prison in this case, but also out of the things that trap us, that trap us, that are, that are anti-freedom. You know, we could look through this passage and with our account of Herod, we could see that there's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit going on. Herod, who is bent on being known for, what he, for this violence that he was about to commit, who was out to gain popularity, who was not kind, who was not gentle, who did not think those were things of power. He thought that the other things were things of power. But how wrong he was and how revealing this holy heist is. There's a brilliant uh, theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, who points out that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but a true restoration of the natural order. He says, we are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. 
So first of all, my first point is Jesus breaks us out of prison. And with that, there are two things I think that are going on. One is that we need a a slight reality check because it's too easy to make our reality the reality of the world, which is one of brokenness and fallenness. But God in Jesus calls us into a different way of being where we expect miracles and experience those from very natural ones through to very supernatural ones, but where we begin to live in the freedom that the Spirit brings. And the, the, other, the other part of this, with, with Jesus being the one who breaks us out of prison, is that he does that through grace. He doesn't do it because we deserve to be broken out as it goes. And we see that with Peter. We might think, ah, Peter, you know, he's he's the rock. He's the one the church is built on. The rock, he's a real heist movie guy. Yeah, yeah, he's done some great ones, actually. My favorite, it's actually a reverse heist, Moana. Yeah, think about that. Think about that. Anyway, Peter, who is the rock that Jesus uh, builds the church on, is building at this very moment the church on. Peter is not one who is worthy for this by the world's values. And it's so easy for us to think, oh, of course, because it's Peter, it's Peter. But the Bible, the scripture, the New Testament writers and Jesus himself go on and on about this is, this is yes, this is Peter, but this is Peter. This is Peter. We get given all of the stuff that Peter struggles with, all of the, the traps that he falls into, And yet here is Peter who undeservedly yet again gets broken out of prison. God breaks us out of prison. He does it because that is his reality. It's not a problem for him to break us out of prison. But he also does it because he loves us. This is his grace, that he loves us. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. There's a really interesting part for Peter where the angel prods him and then very practically says, put your coat on, which I really like. I'm going to say just something about that as I like, kind of come into a finish. But, um, but it's interesting that that phrase is used earlier when Jesus has died and Peter isn't sure what is going to happen. Uh, he ends up going back to his old job, to fishing fish, not men. And, uh, and he takes others with him. And in that moment, you might uh, remember it, Jesus starts a little barbecue on the beach and then uh, kind of calls over to them. And they catch a load of fish. And then Peter, John first, and then Peter realize that it's Jesus. And, and Peter, uh, he, he jumps into the water. But before he jumps into the water, he puts his coat on. And, and I'm not trying to read too much into this. Uh, I, I haven't gone and studied the theology of Peter's coat, but there is something interesting here for Peter. That at, this, at that moment where he was at his kind of most, he was going in the opposite direction to Jesus. And then he turns and he dives in to go back to Jesus. He puts his coat on. And here at this moment, the angel subtly reminds him that he needs to put his coat on again and come and follow Jesus. 
So as we come to an end, I, I want us to just take on this, this second part. Jesus is the one who, who frees us from prison. And his weapon for that is not violence or, or any other kind of power play other than the power that comes from him and comes through his own life of prayer. His weapon is prayer. And believe me, I really get that that sometimes is a really annoying answer. It's a really annoying thing because it's hard. A life of prayer is not easy. And there is something that can feel personally very challenging uh, about entering into that. But this would not have happened if the church wasn't praying fervently. And the, the prayer technique that they're using, which is basically exasperation, is the very same one that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and they are praying fervently, and that allows this holy heist to happen. Matthew Henry, the famous uh, theologian and, and kind of Bible commentator, says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him, meaning Peter. For prayers and tears are the church's arms. Therewith she fights, not only against her enemies, but for her friends. And there is this wonderful interaction between Peter and the angel, where the angel offers actually very natural, practical things. Get up, put on your coat, come with me. But Peter has to do the opposite. He doesn't even realize that it's actually happening until kind of halfway down the road, as it were. And he realizes that this is, this is an angel. It's not just a vision of an angel or a dream of an angel. This is actually an angel with me here. And there is this kind of convergence of the angel who is the heavenly being who has bowed himself towards Peter in his earthly reality of this, this place where he's captive heaven bowing towards Peter, and we have Peter who is being, having to raise his gaze towards heaven. And I would just suggest to us that this is what prayer is. Prayer is recognizing that already heaven is, is, is closer to you than you might realize. Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus is in the heavenly realities intercessing for you. It's Hebrews 7.25. He is making intercession always for you. Heaven is bowing, bending towards you. And what God invites you to do is lift your gaze towards him. Lift your life towards him. Lift your heart towards him. We go upwards naturally, don't we? But obviously this is about pushing into the reality of the life of the Spirit and the kingdom of God, which is the life of freedom that God invites us into. You may have areas in your life where you are captive. You may know about those. You may be exploring those right now. There may be things that you are, are dealing with, exploring in your heart. You may know of other people who are trapped in different situations. And today I want to encourage you that Jesus is the one who can break you out of prison. He's already making a plan and he's already mobilizing heavenly resources towards you in that. And if you are concerned about others, which 
you will be. As soon as you start to spend more time with Jesus, you cannot help but be led towards others who are in need. Jesus wants to join with you to make a plan for their liberation too. Jesus is the one who breaks us out of prison. And Jesus is the one who chooses to use prayer and our prayer as the church as part of that. I'm going to just invite the band up to be able to have a bit of time. But why don't we um, just take a moment where we are. We're going to just wait on the Spirit for for a few moments No, I think I just feel reminded that, you know, this, what was happening to Peter uh, was, was so surprising that he couldn't even grasp that it was real. And then even with the church, when he goes and knocks on that door, it was so surprising to them, the answer to their prayers, that they couldn't believe it was real. And they made up some other thing. It must be his angel. <laughs> and I just feel like God today wants to give some people here that faith to believe in what seems impossible. To the extent that you might see it and hardly be able to realize that it's real. It might take you time like it did with Peter. So as we just wait for a few moments, before we sing together and then take communion together, If there is one thing or, or, or one person where that freedom, that breaking out of that prison needs to happen, I just invite you to give that to God now. To, to lift that towards him. And I pray for any of you where that is addiction, that that addiction will be broken in Jesus' name. I pray for any of you where that is unforgiveness, that you would be liberated to forgive in Jesus' name. I pray for any of you where it is also about your own struggles, your inner life, uh, the life of your, um, of, of your own like mental health, your soul. I pray wherever there are any of those repeating cycles for you, that those would be broken and you would be liberated from them in Jesus' name. I pray for anyone where that is to do with you, where it's to do with your family. 
that you would be liberated from that in Jesus' name. And so why don't we stand now together? And as we sing, I just invite you to keep bringing yourself to Jesus.